This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, wearing a very fetching waistcoat. Is that new? <laughs> it arrived yesterday, actually. <laughs> I, had, I had a, a waistcoat-type thing, which, I mean, if you're terribly smart, you'll say, uh, like, my gilet. Um, so, I, my gilet, I washed it, and it had a lovely padded collar, which kept my neck warm. And the padding sort of kind of disintegrated in either the washer or the dryer. I don't know which. Um, and so Susie is a friend, friend of mine. She comes and she does sewing jobs for you. So she's taken it away to have it stuff the, the collar again. So I had to buy myself a replacement. I just <laughs> hope I don't look too much like a Palomino pony. <laughs> There's a touch of Palomino, a touch of sort of stylish army about it. But handsome <laughs> and happy horticulturalist as ever over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, Alan Edward Herbert Gray. And um, with all those wonderful compliments, basking in sunshine, I don't know whether you are or not, we are here, uh, basking in sunshine in Cambridgeshire, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Fredrickson, absolutely blossoming. I've sat down in front of the camera and I look vast. You can't even see my belly, but I've got this like massive, I bought a really oversized <laughs> denim dress to try and accommodate the bump. And now I just look like I'm one massive denim sheet. But anyway, we'll talk about that. You don't, you see, on our <laughs> screen, you you don't look enormous at all. I mean, I know you have got an enormous bump, but... <laughs> <laughs> I certainly do. But anyway, less about me and my bump. I know I could talk about it at length. We all know that. Uh, joining us back on the podcast, a very, very long overdue return to Talking Dirty, Tamsin Mary Westhorpe of Stocktonberry, of all kinds of wonderful antics on Instagram and obviously your magazine editing past and, crucially, a brand new book, Grasping the Nettle, which we'll obviously talk about. But how are you? How has life been treating you? Well, fabulous, but I've just realised I've got a dreadfully dull name. You, I need to have a few more names. I mean, Mary, come on. What was my mother thinking? Um, my son is called Herbert, so it's a good, it's a good horticultural name, isn't it? You get yes, did. my grandfather was called Herbert. Yeah, it's a good name. We're mm. keeping it alive. So Best thing about your son's name is, isn't he Herbert Robert, therefore meaning you can call him Herb Robert? Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's one of my favourite, you know, little flowers. So poor boy. <laughs> you know, I've always been such a fan of Herb Robert and I do love it and I love the the colours of the foliage and how beautifully floriferous it is. But yes, it, I think introducing it to my garden as much as I enjoy it, it, I sometimes wish I had a bigger garden to accommodate it and so it wasn't quite so in my face. <laughs> yeah, and I really, I, I can't weed it out now. It's like, I just can't because... Yeah, it's, not it's one of those it's one of those weeds that is um uh i don't know it's it's a welcome weed somehow or other it's yeah. just lovely it's part of the garden and it, and of course a certain um <laughs> herb robert does have a degree of snobbery about it remember penny snell when she was uh, whatever she was at the national garden scheme she came to my garden and she was here one day and she said, do you have the white form of Herb Robert? And I said, Penny, you're standing on it. Oh, I love it. I would love to know how many times smart gardeners find themselves asking the question, do you have the white form? Yes. 
There is something about um, some white flowers, I think, that people do find them endearing. And let's face it, Herb Robert seeds itself in lovely sort of shady, mossy, woody corners. And if you have got the white form and it does pop up and seed just as well as the, the, the pink form, I mean, it glows in those, in those lovely places. Yeah, What's I not really, to like? Clearly need that in my life. I did actually find myself seeking out the white form of Cabea scandens rather than the purple. I feel like each year I oscillate between which one I want to grow. Um, I don't I don't know why. It's just as the fancy takes me. Um, but then I, as I was sort of planting it, I thought, I've got. I've done it. I've done the thing I always laugh at. I've gone for the white version, the smart white version. <laughs> <laughs> but it was very nice. Uh, now, Tamsin, uh, the reason that we have finally got you back on Talking Dirty, long overdue from episode twenty-three. I'm sorry, oh, wait, wait so long. Um, but uh, but this book, this charming, whimsical, fun book. What is the story behind Grasping the Nettle? Tales from a Modern Country Gardener. Well, as usual, um, as anything in my life, it happened by accident. You know, nothing's planned. I'm not that organised. So I was pruning about 18 months ago in my garden on my own, up a ladder, and I fell off the ladder and broke my spine. Oh, um, Yeah, Alan looks like horrified. And I was doing everything wrong. You know, everything I tell people not to do. You know, I was on my own. I was on the top step. You know, all those silly, silly things fell broke my spine and ended up um having to be very sedate for 12 weeks should we say and i was bored so i just started writing what had happened to me in sort of a comical way you know the story of the hospital and all the drama and my husband packing an overnight bag for me before the ambulance had even arrived he was desperate <laughs> to get rid of me um they, i've written this in the book they said um i think we're going to have to take your wife in you need to get an overnight bag together and went, i've done it <laughs> It was like, <laughs> you'll find this Thordis when you eventually go to let that everyone wants to get shot of you. So, um, yes, yeah, so I wrote this story, and then my lovely publisher came around for tea to see how I was, and she said, Maybe you should use this time wisely and write a book. And I said, Well, I've written this funny story. What do you think? And she said, Have you got any more? I went, Oh, yes, <laughs> loads of stories about horticulture. So that was it. So that I spent, you know, that time jotting down things about my life um, from childhood to being the big 5-0 this year. Um, and actually, it was quite an interesting process revisiting things. And it made me realise, gosh, you know, I have tried everything, failed <laughs> an awful lot. Um, and I think it's quite good to share a picture of horticulture and how it's changed. When I start thinking back to my college days at Horticultural College, you think, gosh, the world has changed yeah. unbelievably. And gardening and horticulture has. And I was thinking, gosh, you know, when I took it up, I was the first, one of the first parks gardeners in Bournemouth. I was a greenkeeper. And everyone was almost horrified. You know, what? You mow and you weed for a living? But now it's... It's really female dominated. There's so many women in horticulture. I think you wrote that people were one of the most common questions you'd get asked when you were working in the parks department is, are you a woman? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was it was you'd stand in the park with your hoe or working. And I had a long plait then. So, I, you know, and I I'd, I'd, little skinny legs and big work boots. And people would stop and say, 
oh, look, Brian, there's a woman over there. Is she a woman? Are you a woman? And you think, my goodness, mate, you'd never get that now. And I think yeah, I've wouldn't. said in the book, I used to be asked, where are the toilets? Are you a woman? I can't remember <laughs> what the other question was. But now you'd be asked, um, how, what, you know, can I, how do I get into this? Can I do this job? Yeah. Um, and that's what really surprised me when the book came out. I hadn't really thought of it as a career book, but lots of people have contacted me on Instagram, lots of women and men, and said, I'm for, in my 40s, am I too late to career change? So it's wonderful. I think that bit of humour, but honest honesty about the industry, um, people like that and they think, oh, maybe this, yeah, I could, I could give this a go. Yeah, it's looking at it all through this real kind of personal prism. And I think that, like anything, as soon as you're sort of sharing personal experiences, it makes it so much more engaging. And, yeah. and lots and lots of, you know, things that not even just your horticultural career, but your sort of personal horticultural pursuits and things not necessarily quite going to plan. There's quite mm. a lot more nudity than I was expecting in your yes, life. Yes, I, I seem to come across that quite often in my life. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> And also, uh, I ought to explain that, oughtn't I? Yes. Yeah, I ought to explain that. Otherwise, it sounds a bit dodgy. But, yeah, so um, I got this flat. You know, when you're younger and I was working in the parks, I thought, I've got my own flat. I've rented a flat. I was so excited because there was this garden at the back that was a shared garden that nobody had touched. I thought, I've landed in heaven now. So I moved in. I was unpacking all these kitchen accessories and looking through the kitchen window, dreaming. And then out popped the neighbours, totally naked. So basically, they they were nudists and the garden, they were sta staking their claim on the garden um, and making it very obvious from the moment I moved in that it was their domain. That I never got to sow a seed in that garden. I think I hung my washing out once and that was it. Now, I totally feel your pain because I don't even like fully clothed neighbours being in the garden next door, really, while I'm yeah. gardening. I want peace. I want to listen to the birds. I want to feel like I'm in my own world. So people in my garden fully clothed, I think, would be a problem. But, <laughs> funnily enough, now, as I've got older, I think, well, maybe it's a nice thing to do, walk around the garden with nothing on. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't, I actually think there's probably quite a lot in that. I don't I can attest to the fact that it is quite nice. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, I do, I do not. You know. If nobody's at Stocktonbury and we're on a closed day, you will find me in my bra and knickers if it's hot. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I'm just exactly. thinking, Alan, did you, we all thought you planted those hedges as windbreaks, but actually was it just to keep prying eyes out? <laughs> well, a lot of it was, I mean, a lot of it was to, was um, <laughs> simply as windbreaks. I mean, you know, it, it's the barrier between us and the lane outside. Um, but in the early days, I mean, I mean, I haven't done it for years now, but I mean, in the early days, I did quite often used to garden in just a pair of pants or sometimes nothing at all. Um, yeah. And, you know, on a hot summer day, summer day and it was... It was it was freeing. It was, but then I do wonder, you know, whether somebody might have peered through the hedge one day and seen me because um, before we opened the garden, there was a rumor that went around that it's a nudist colony in there. You know, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, there's a chapter in my book about a nudist colony. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but you know, that was an interesting day. So I went to do an article on this nudist colony. And um, I was very, oh, gosh, will I have to take my clothes off? I don't know. Didn't ask beforehand, which is just really silly. Anyway, I didn't have to take my clothes off. But by the end of the day, 
I felt like the fool. The one I felt the odd one out. And and these people were just so it was just about them and their gardens. There was no accessories to say how wealthy you were or what you did, you know, because you do judge people on your their clothing without, you know, unconsciously. And actually it puts everyone on, on a <laughs> even heel. Tamsin, you're gonna be known as the watch checker. Oh god. <laughs> but um yeah, it was you know, as you as you get older, you do rethink and you think, oh come on, it's our gardens. Um, that's what a gardener should be about. But when you're sharing it, I think maybe you need to be slightly more considerate. Please check. Yeah. <laughs> Are we all nudists together? I'm surprised yeah. it's taken us till episode 105 to talk about gardening in the nuddy. Oh, no, and then that's that's my <laughs> fault now. I'm going to have this reputation that I don't know. <laughs> I think I think it's a good reputation. Well, there is Naked Gardening Day, isn't there? There is. Yeah. And there yeah. and there were and there were a couple who lived, I think, in Malmesbury in Wiltshire. Yeah. Um, that they were known for um, gardening in the nude. And yeah. I mean, you know, and if you if if you think your garden's looking a little tatty in your opening, um, you know, if you it open in the nude, off. everyone yeah. will look at that, not the garden. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm just going to promise you now, you will never see me on Instagram with nothing on, Alan. I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think I would agree with you there, Tamsin. <laughs> World Naked Gardening Day or not, yeah. no yeah. nudity on any of our Instagrams. No. I used to love the calendars that they used to do with quite famous gardeners, and they'd, they'd all be carrying a watering can that was strategically placed, you know. <laughs> yeah, but there's still, um, I've got one from this year. Um, perennial do um, oh, yes. a, a calendar. Um, so yeah, that they've got lots of men in in herbaceous borders strategically placed. It's fabulous. Mm. <laughs> I think I'm often very grateful for the clothes I wear when I'm gardening. Whenever I'm snagging myself on a thorn, I'm not entirely sure my garden would be a good place for for nudity. Maybe we should wrap nudity up. Um, yes, <laughs> this, <laughs> the nudist section of the podcast. Yes, let's get dressed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> what I think is lovely is how, um, as you move through the chapters of the book, which is just a whole succession of sort of chronological stories from your life, most of which have you sort of chuckling away on the sofa as you're reading it. It's all these different angles. You've got your personal horticultural journey. You've got your professional one from the parks department all the way through to Stocktonbury via appearing on Lorraine's television show and on radio with your son um who was very small and didn't play ball I won't give everything away but you know read the book <laughs> but just obviously your huge chunk of your career being about garden writing you've managed to sort of step into almost every way you've had a gardening shop every kind of way that you could try horticulture as a career and as a personal experience yes um that kind of um worries me in a way what does it say about me <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm a Gemini, so I do I do get really excited about things. This is the problem. My family go, oh, no, what's she going to do now? Um, but then I think, although some people might say, oh, gosh, she never sticks to anything. What I would always say to everyone is I've always stuck with horticulture. You know, I, I might well have had a garden shop. I might have done interior landscaping. I've been a lecturer, but all the way through... It's been plants and gardening people. I think that's um, a line in my book that about three or four people I've met that have read it have quoted to me is when I got to Horticultural College, I actually wrote, I've, I'd found my people. 
And that is something that so many people have related to. I was at a seed swap in Hereford on Saturday and a lady leapt over to me and said, these are my people, you know, like in your book. And so I think what's held me to horticulture is that wonderful community. And I love being outside. Um, I think I've, I've written in the book, you know, how um, my mother and father sent me on a secretarial course when I was about 16 and mum bought me this sort of office outfit. And that was like a nightmare for me, absolute <laughs> nightmare. Um, and I, I think I didn't complete the course. I'm sure I didn't complete the and they they asked me at school what did I want to do and I said well I'd like to be a gardener and um, so my work experience they sent me to to work at a beauty therapist (laughs) (laughs) and I suppose it's pruning (laughs) trimming (laughs) yeah it you know it was I just thought this is just it was honestly just so far removed from me um so yes it's I think it's quite fun to share with people my mistakes as well. I think, you know, all these things we do that don't work are actually very useful to your career in the end. I think one thing that came through in your book is your lightness of touch. Um, you know, whenever whenever things are not going wonderfully well, that there's no doom and gloom in the it, it it's always looked at with um Perhaps optimism, and maybe that's part of your Gemini character because Gemini is the twins, isn't it? Mm. And I've got a very good friend of mine who's a very successful businessman. I mean, mega successful. And I always said to him, you know, the thing about you is you're Gemini and you see things from one side, but you see it from the other side as well. Yeah. So if you're, you know, um, and I think probably you're looking at the the bright side when the bright side Perhaps it's not there quite so much. And that well, lightness of touch makes that your book a very nice read. I mean, it's a lovely ha- it's a lovely bedside book because you you don't have to worry about what's happening in the next chapter. No, <laughs> there's no murder or anything. No, no. no. It's, it's, it's like <laughs> I have to find a Netflix series that doesn't involve anything violent. Um, my husband loves a bit of drama, but I'm a bit more, oh, no, let's. You know, cool it's, midwife and gooey, lovely things. Escapism. That's what yeah. I want. Nothing yeah. that's remotely approaching the real world and all of the awful stuff that happens. I want to escape from all of yeah. that. Yeah. But then I do I do feel um, a lot of people ask me for a career advice and it tickles me pink. It really does. Honestly, I just think, do they think I've got it sus? <laughs> it's unbelievable. And, and I'm more than happy to offer my advice because I think... All the things I've failed at or not or or now know the truth about, why wouldn't you share that? Because hopefully someone can avoid either avoid it or tweak it or make it work. Um, so yeah, I think that's something about horticulture is is people are very generous. And I think we should should be fess up and say, actually, it's not all it appears to be. But <laughs> give it a go anyway. You well, know, It's also a really good opportunity for all the people who do open gardens, like Alan, to be able to write about the realities of opening Stockton yeah. Berry and how hard you have to work during the winter, how hard you have to work every day to get poo off benches and, yeah. and like yeah. the little things that no one thinks about. <laughs> you see, visitors sometimes, they, I'm sure they think that, 
this your benches never get dirty you know you've got this wonderful garden your benches never get dirty you don't have weeds growing in your in your borders um you know you don't have to rake leaves up you don't have to refresh your paths all the things that you would look i mean if you it's a bit like cleaning a house you get from top to bottom and then you go back to the top again yeah and that's exactly what we all do as gardeners especially when we're open to the public but it is it is quite shocking actually that i think people assume you just flick the gate open come in you know and and friends of mine will say surely you're not gardening in this weather well of course i am i've got to you know there's no choice we've got to crack on um and actually i love gardening in the cold i love having people gonna think i'm really i love having a cold face people do think how do you do it but actually if you are on the go i don't notice it's cold there are some days when you think oh but you've got to just jog on the spot or but I, i've got this fitbit thing I don't know how oh, yeah. it works, right? I got it for Christmas. Look, it's <laughs> this black watch. You press it and it comes alive. This is how technophobe I am. But um, when I'm sitting at my desk writing, I might do like 500 steps a day, you know, going to put a coffee on. In the garden, I do about 22,000 steps. <laughs> so, you know, that is so wonderful for your physical health i don't need yeah. to do lattes zumba i don't need to go anywhere near any fitness um equipment <laughs> no no you're absolutely right and you're and and the environment that you're in is is has a great effect on this as well yeah. because you know on dull cold or foggy wet frosty days we can feel some woo a little bit but you know you're absolutely right about having a cold face because that wakes you up for a start. Yes, lovely. Yeah. You know, and I mean, it got January is a horrible month, I always think. I think, you know, it's this, there's the flatness after Christmas. Um, we haven't quite got around to sort of thinking of spring is on its way until you get to about the 20th of January. And you suddenly notice that the days are perceptibly a little bit longer. Yeah. And then I've noticed just recently, about 10 days ago, the birds started singing. Oh, and definitely. the song changes, so it's optimism. It's spring, and it's coming, and it's, and then you know, and then as you say, round about Christmas time, the first snowdrops for the spring, autumn snowdrops we know about, but first snowdrops for the spring, then the odd aconite, and then yeah. you know, three days later, there's four or five more, um, and you, you know, however cold it is, there are things that are happening, cyclamen coom, and all of those wonderful optimistic things. But the bird song did it for me this year. I suddenly thought, listen. Hang on a minute. Well, who are these people that are gardening in headphones? <laughs> oh, what are they no, missing? No. It's lethal. You just yeah. want to listen to the birds. I should say, as you mentioned, Aconites, uh, a big thank you to Brian Ellis, who featured on this this podcast uh, uh, last episode. <laughs> I've lost track. <laughs> um, Brian, I mentioned, or he mentioned the Aranthus Pauline, which is a lovely, creamy one. It's so beautiful. And also I was saying how I, I really should get hold of the Snowdrop S Arnott because I don't have it. And, you know, it's one of those really good doers and it smells so beautiful. And uh, he gave me both of them as a gift at Snowdrop. Day. So thank you very much, uh, Brian. Ever so generous as ever. And then um, I always task the other half at Snowdrop Day to scour the tables and find one that appeals to him. We have very different tastes um, all about, about most things, decor, you know. <laughs> most of the things in the garden and he goes for really demure snowdrops so I bought him little Dorrit which is a very sort of 
quiet, subtle thing. And uh, he went around all the tables. I love the doubles, anything with loads of splishes and splashes, South Haze, you know, anything interesting. He found nothing special. Nothing special? <laughs> Which actually is quite special, but it's, again, a demure darling. And um, I think Brian said that Joe Sharman bred it and everyone kept saying, what's that one? And he'd say, oh, that's nothing special. Oh, and the name yeah. stuck. Uh, so now we, we bought that as well. So uh, the Snowdrop collection increasing, but mostly just huge gratitude to uh, to Brian Ellis for being so kind as ever. I mean, that goes back to your thing, Tamsin, about the gardening community. And mm-hmm. I know that sometimes you can be a bit over the top we can certainly be a bit over the top about how lovely it is but there is so much generosity there is this wonderful desire to share plants to share knowledge it's uh, it is really heartwarming yeah and I think you know my career wouldn't have been so eclectic and exciting and without that generosity I mean I learned so much from the men in the parks department oh my goodness you know just very traditional gardening skills. Did they teach you how to swear? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. But it was things like what to wear, you know, Mm. to survive a day in the parks in January by the sea, you need to know what to eat. And when I was lecturing at Kingston Moorwood, I remember saying to everybody, right, before you go off and leave and go off and do your gardening jobs, I'm going to do a little half an hour on what to put in your lunchbox, what to have for breakfast, what to wear. And a couple of students have said, God, thank goodness you did that. There's nothing worse than a hungry gardener. Um, (laughs) You've got to have enough food in you to do the job. It's a physical job. So, yeah, I'm all for these practical little tips that save the day. (laughs) Incidentally, what did you put in your lunchbox? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I have to say I'm a real bread. I mean, you can't if you have like a lunchbox of lettuce, it's lovely. But you do need a bit, a bit of substance to it. You need some fibre. You do need fibre. And I would always have porridge for breakfast with treacle. Um, Got to have treacle on everything. Um, And you do need hot drinks. You do need a flask of tea. I don't go anywhere without a flask of tea. People people will see when I'm on my Instagram, I'm going all over the country doing talks. I always do a little sort of post on my story saying me and my flask are in, you know, Lincoln <laughs> or whatever. Um, and things like hot vegetable soup, but bread and carbohydrates, fiber. Um, and I have to say, I'm, I am a meat eater. You know, I, you need to eat. You can't be hungry. And also you need to, I, I'm a real advocate of a big breakfast and a good 11 o'clock snack. Um, oh, yeah. The 11 o'clock snack is, yeah. I need to get a flask. Actually, I've got one of those bottles that I normally have water in to keep it cold, but I need to put something hot in it because I it's a 10-minute walk to the allotment, nipped up the allotment, and was I thought, why have I not brought anything with me? I'm used to gardening at home where I can just nip back yeah. in. And really. actually, it's a four-acre garden, so <laughs> I sometimes have my flask in my wheelbarrow. Yeah. It's nice. I'm just going to have a quick nip of tea, um, and then I'm off again. And I'll tell you the other thing I think that's quite important is when you're gardening in a big garden – I mean, you need to take time out and lift your head up and just sit. Mm. And if you've got a flask of tea, you can take that five minutes. That's all it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, you just look at the scene around you and you will, you know, you somehow or other, you you look at it through different eyes. You look at it through the eyes of a visitor, perhaps. Um, and you see things that need doing. You see things that could be improved. You think, ah, oh, that could do with 
I don't know, azalea lutea or something there, you know, that's going to yeah. light up in spring and look but, lovely. But what I do, Alan, I don't know if you do this, but, you know, when we're not open, I'm very quiet, I just think I'm just going to lie on the lawn yeah. or put my toes in the water or do something quite sort of um, childlike in a way. Yeah, I know, you know what you mean. <laughs> it's, it's just like you're in the secret garden. There's no one else there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, love I, did that. I did that one day here. I was just, I spread eagled on the grass, you see, and, and around the corner came a gardener who's walking uh, with a wheelbarrow and he stopped and he put his wheelbarrow down. Oh, my God. I said, dead. Oh, you said I thought you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, it wouldn't have been brilliant, but Yeah. <laughs> I do also quite like the idea that if you are ever going to suddenly peg it in the garden, you're going to do it in like a star shape. Yes, <laughs> you are. But Alan will, though, yeah. haven't he? There's, there's no way you'll find him curled up in the corner. <laughs> With flair and drama. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. You mentioned bread. It made me think about your trip to Japan and how the there there wasn't that much bread and you felt so much lighter for actually not eating yeah, bread. I'm, yeah, I'm sure I feel working, like that. So. But I think the thing I loved about your I mean there's there's lots, you know, lots to read in the book, but the, there was this wonderful idea of going to bathe beneath these wisteria clad oh, trees. Absolutely amazing. And the idea of we see wisteria, we adore wisteria. I have wisteria flomo every single year because i don't have any and it's festooning various houses in my village that's how we think of it but this idea of it just rampaging <laughs> through the yeah. trees and doing its its beautiful drapery um Quite magical um i mean i'm not as i say in the book my fam we're not great travelers i mean the last flight someone took was probably to go we're pretty pathetic like that but um when i got to go to japan for work i'm I mean, I think I say in the book, it's like I was charting how many miles I'd be for little boy was very young. But the experience was just unbelievable. It, it was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And like you say, seeing plants in their natural setting and realising that we put restraints on plants, um, which is fine. But to see them just do their thing. Oh, Yeah. Wonderful. And again, being naked underneath it in some water. <laughs> We're coming back round again. I don't know what you're trying to do to my career, you two. <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking forward to the title of this one, Towns and Westhorpe on Nudity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well, welcome goodness. to the Naked Gardening School. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the most of the people I think, I mean, apologies if you're having many minutes into this podcast and you were here for something very different with the title Talking Dirty, but I'm fairly certain <laughs> a, a good portion of the people who first come to us particularly on the audio podcast don't realize it's all about horticulture so at least for once you're actually getting a bit of what you were after if you're that listener yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> well we could we could we could actually make something uh, slightly funny out of that by borrowing a, a line from from dorothy parker when she said you can lead a horticulture but you cannot make her think <laughs> <laughs> definitely not a comment on any present company including myself <laughs> um <laughs> No, Tamsin, it's it's um it's a beautiful book, and hopefully it will inspire lots of people to, if not career change, feel a bit braver maybe about making mistakes in their garden. Yeah, what we all, I think, I think, I, I think what the underlying thing that came through for me was the optimism of it, because you uh, you have Tamsin, you have this thing. Well, go on, have a go. You yeah. know, try your best, do it, have a go. 
if you fail, you fail it. But if you, you know, you'll get something out of it. That's what gardening's about anyway. Yeah. And I just think, uh, you know, I think humour is so important. And the horticultural Mm. world, it is a serious industry. I mean, I'm not belittling it at all because I'm well aware of how huge it is, how important it is, how serious it can be. But then I think there's this light side that we just mustn't forget. Mm. And um, I think that makes people feel welcomed and happy. And that's all all good, you know, all good. Yeah. Now, the other thing we wanted to talk about was a few planty type things with you. Yes. Um, well, I know they're not really for show and tell, but you do have some lovely snowdrops at Stocktonbury, don't you? Yeah, we do. We don't have vast swathes. We're not Colesbourne by any stretch, but we do have some lovely little clumps of exciting things i'm not a snowdrop expert um but we i think my favorite is probably augustus with the big the big flowers mm. uh, i've picked a little bunch here i, don't, I just i pick oh. one bunch a year i just allow myself one bunch and this gorgeous little vase that a local potter gave me isn't that cute that yes, is, it is absolutely abs- ideal for snowdrops yeah, and I move it around the house with me. It's really sad. I take it up to bed. I put it, this will come from my office to when I go and have my coffee. It's like a little companion because I think I want to get the most out of it. But, you know, the first night I put these by my bed, I was quite surprised how strong the scent was. Mm. I'd forgotten. And, you know, you do not realise that in the garden. But when they're right by your bed, you think, gosh, actually, it's faded a bit now. But on the first day... I think we forget that snowdrops are scented. Well, I didn't realise that nasturtiums are scented, really, until I went to stay in somebody's house and I was staying for the weekend and they'd very kindly put a little posy about the same size as your snowdrop posy on my bedside table and I thought, what is that scent? I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) It was the humble nasturtium, you know, so these things are, are worth trying. Definitely. You just Definitely. reminded me that is one of the things I um I really want to have in a in a big way on my very small allotment. I just love nasturtiums. And I was going through my seed box the other day and looking up, you know, all of these dregs of seed packets and trying to look at the, the dates and see, oh, so by 2012. Oh well, we'll give it a go. My my pantry's just as bad. You know, you go through your spices, don't you? And you yes. think, oh gosh, 2007. Oh, it'll be fine. Yes. It'll be fine. Just don't tell the rest of the family. They'll never know. It's like pickles. Anything that's got vinegar in it, you think will last forever. Yeah. <laughs> As, so if I have no nasturtiums, it's because all of my seed was sort of so by 2012, 2015. But we'll give it a go. Uh, I think yeah. I've got one or two fresh seeds. So hopefully something will germinate. <laughs> but but you just, yeah. you just, I just suddenly thought when you were talking, Thordis, that, you know, if you it, let's say we want to change an idea of a plant take nasturtiums for instance and if you grow enough in in your in your garden that you could actually pick and make a big bowl in the center of a dining table just think how fantastic that could look oh. and the way to do that would be to take florist tape and make a crisscross pattern over the top of the of the bowl to support the the, the, the blooms and if you've got enough blooms you'll cover the tape you'll never know it's there and it will look fantastic or just float them in a you know or even no yeah even float them, float yeah. them. yeah like a hellebore flower yeah, I wow. mean, I've got a fabulous mixing bowl for cakes. It's never been used for its rightful <laughs> purpose, but that would be very good to float flowers in. You, know, you remind <laughs> me, I've I've spent most of my life chastising my mother for taking 
particularly when I lived with her, quite expensive kitchen implements, you know, things that I would buy to add to the kitchen. And the next thing I'd know would be being used for filtering duckweed out of the pond or something like that. And then I've just, I've, I've ended up doing exactly the same thing. Of course you have. (laughs) I am my mother's daughter. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, one of the most one of the most exciting things to do is to use a good bread knife when you're chopping up perennials. Oh, definitely. Like you see? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, nobody nobody in the in the of the garden tool making fraternity have made the, the gardening equivalent of a bread knife. Because they know everyone's just using their bread knives. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you use a bread knife. <laughs> Um, now you you brought along some snowdrops, but that wasn't the main show and tell. You've actually pinched your main show and tell. Yeah, it's stolen. It's <laughs> stolen. No, um, but the story is obviously I spend most of my life at Stocktonbury. So um, my uncle has grown a lot of Irish reticulata in his alpine house, and I've snuck a bowl out for the night. I've collected them last night to show you. So this is quite a heavy. Bear with me. Oh, look at. <laughs> that oh. oh fantastic so that is, is that Catherine Hodge? Hodgkins is it yeah. Hodge- Hodgkin yeah so she's got an award of garden merit I mean why wouldn't she oh the compost coming out now <laughs> um and um just so delicate and the reason why I picked this one I mean, he's got blue note he's got Pauline Pauline's a popular name isn't it for a plant yeah so I'm gonna put this down because it's got and it's resting on my cheese board my glass cheese board talking about kitchen um and um they're just so beautiful in an alpine house or greenhouse because obviously the flowers last longer they're hardy they don't need to be there but we go in every morning and although they're flowering before we open they're just for us it's just like we go and we go wow they're just gorgeous and the scent again is gorgeous yeah Yeah. this occurs to me that lots of lots of gardeners have a greenhouse or a glass house they do nothing with it other than grow tomatoes in in the cucumber perhaps in the summer or something like that but in the winter i mean it's frost it's not frost free it's a cold house but you can grow all these lovely miniature bulbs in pots yeah, and we've got hepaticas as well in there. Yeah, well, hepatica blossoms can get easily spoiled by the weather. Yes, um, as can these little miniature iris, because if we get lots of rain and you know they become quickly bedraggled, but under yeah. the shelter of cold glass, and what better have you got? You know, you've got the chance to bit take your flask of tea, take a chair, sit in yeah, there, enclose lovely. yourself in this wonderful little cocoon, and just enjoy. Yeah, and the, and the you know if you do want to grow them outside, they like a sort of dry. They're from Turkey, so they like a dry. Like the foot of a wall is quite good, south facing wall. And I would invest in a cloche, you know, an old fashioned glass cloche. So when wet weather comes, just pop the, the lid on it, really, mm-hmm. just so that they last longer. Is would be my advice. But the reason why I picked Catherine out of that group is because in a catalogue, I probably wouldn't go for her. I don't know why. It just doesn't jump off the page. But actually, in real life, she really is one of those ones you've got. You could spend if you were a good watercolour painter. Yeah. I think she'd be the one you'd 
you'd have a go at painting. It's the other nice thing about an alpine house is something like Catherine Hodgkin, you want to be able to really look close. And whenever I go to the Cambridge University Botanic Garden, their alpine house, and they'll have a few, I mean, they're brilliant at just switching things out all the time. So there's always something different to see. And they'll have a few select snowdrops and they're right there where you can get up close and personal without having to get on the ground, which uh, particularly at the moment is a bit difficult. So it's, it's, it's one of those flowers where you can really really look at in close detail and get a nice up close photo and then zoom in even more and then see you know do you know what we've we've got a a little garden here called the catalpa garden and it's 16 catalpas uh lollipops they're planted in a grid fashion um and it's enclosed by fairly tall hedges and i've cleaned it out recently and we've re-edged it with some nice crisp um boarding and things and it's ready for replanting and i'm going to make it into um, an early snowdrop garden and i want to have you know my special snowdrops in there and i was actually deliberating whether or not i could find something that I could make knee pads out of um, <laughs> that would be reasonably, you know, reasonably durable. Because I do think people like to get down on their knees and yeah. look at the yeah. individually. And like- I, I saw on Instagram, um, I haven't been to Colesbourne yet. I'm hoping to be able to go this season uh, before baby appears. But um, I, I saw uh, Dean Croucher on Instagram say that they put mirrors by the snowdrops so that you can see the reflections and see what's going on in the flower, which blew my mind. That's I thought, what cool. an, an amazing idea. That is really cool. I love that. <laughs> I mean, some of them. There was um, there was one that's growing in the sun by your greenhouse in the walled garden, Alan. Is it Tim's Hill Poe? Yeah. Something like that. And, and po, yeah. it looks beautiful in its little enthusiastic clump. But actually, when you turned the flowers up and looked at everything that was going on inside there as well, there was even more. It was one of these lovely little plumptious double ones. That, that has done exceedingly well there. Um, and that's uh, that's one on the list to be divided for this, for this year. Um, and I said to Ian the other day, who works in the garden uh, quite a lot, um, I said, you've been dividing my snowdrops. Where, where's Green Tear gone, for instance? Oh, I did it last year. I said, well, how come I never see you do it? <laughs> In the dead of night, yeah. And he just goes out and he'd dig them up and he'll, he he normally puts a f- small clump back from where the original came from and then they disperse all around the garden and we've got quite large areas of, oh, I don't know, plants like Godfrey Owen, for instance, which oh, is a yes. nice tall growing one. Mrs McNamara is another nice tall growing one. And another one I bought the other day uh, your, uh, on Sunday was Rainbow Yo-Yo. I mean, I bought it because I love the name. <laughs> and I said, how did you name it to this chap who has the nursery? And he said, did you know the late Anne Borrell? I said, well, I did because Anne Borrell was um, instrumental in getting me to grow other than ordinary snowdrops. Um, and he said, well, she came to the nursery and she saw it. And she said, oh, it reminds me of a yo-yo. So it became Rainbow Yo-Yo. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to them as well. They they had a newish, I didn't get the name of it, but a newish yellow one that apparently has massive yellow seed pods, which sounded very exciting, but it was out of my price range. So I didn't engage with that. I just sort of moved on, <laughs> stay at the cheap end of the table. But I did get Wandlebury Ring from them because it's very close to us and we walked the dog there and I wanted a yellow one to add. I haven't got any yellows. And I thought, well, there we go. I said, local connection. I like there to be a bit of a story behind the choice. And uh, as much as I like Wendy's Gold, I thought, Wandlebury ring, I'll go for that. So that's uh, that's got to be planted out imminently. There's a fashion for yellow snowdrops at the moment, and most of the yellows are relatively small. 
Um, there's one that isn't. It's called Treasure Island. And I saw it at John Morley's and I did treat myself. I mean, I hadn't had a Christmas or a birthday present, put it that way. <laughs> I love that. So I did treat myself yeah. to three bulbs of it, and it is a whopper, but it's one that you see um, from a distance. What, what amazes me is I stepped out this morning to go into the garden, and all the snowdrops are sort of collapsed in the frost, and then they'll just be perky. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Things like yes. the hellebores as well. Mm. Remarkable plants that they just ping up. Hello. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's really, yeah. Arums. Arums as well. It's uh, they're just so resilient. Up they come. Sikkim and Coom are the ones that I would used to worry about because they would lay flat, absolutely flat on the ground. And you think they look as if they've been scorched. Yeah. And, you know, by twelve o'clock, up they come and they're there. Exactly. And I think once they once they start to come up, there's no excuse for us not to be out gardening. <laughs> no, no, quite agree with you. That's, that's the alarm that you need to get out there. <laughs> Now, before we um, we have to wind up this extremely enjoyable chat, it's uh, it's got a big like my cheeks are starting to hurt from all the smiling. Um, we should do some flomo, which of course is yeah. that fear of missing out you get about a flower or a plant. My boy, oh boy, I'm not going to go into even more snowdrops, but I certainly had plenty after Alan's snowdrop day. Um, and if you do get the chance, I think it's lovely to go and look at them all on the table. But if you can go to a garden where you get these named clumps and you can really see them doing their thing in the garden, do. Especially if you're unconvinced by snowdrops. If every time we mention them, you do a little groan to yourself. like, Oh, no, they're talking about those little white flowers again. Um, I'm sure I'm sure that you can be one over to the snowdrop fanciers. Uh, I was. Yeah, it happened to yeah. Alan. Yeah. To be honest, it happened to me. I mean, when we used to work on the radio together. I spent years sort of talking about it and not in my heart of hearts, not really getting it. Um, but now I definitely do. It's a, it's a slippery <laughs> slope. I've got to try and stop myself. Um, but I'm not going to go snowdrops for Flomo. It's um, almost every spare moment where I'm not reading something baby related. I'm reading something to do with the allotment or working out what I'm going to do there or what I'm going to plant there. And sweet peas have become a little bit of a fixation because I really want to have at least one nice wigwam of sweet peas so i've been looking you, at loads do you need do you need a division in your allotment at all a division <laughs> yes i mean like a like a um, an almost invisible fence between one part and the other or not well I, i'm open to all ideas alan <laughs> you know that well i was just sort of thinking because i do know somebody that's got some quite nice espaliered pears oh um... <laughs> i think you need to say yes to that yeah. <laughs> And I just thought a couple of those might be useful. Who says no to a nice pair of espalier pears? You can't refuse that. <laughs> well, I, at well, the moment, it's a bare canvas. So I am I really am genuinely open to all ideas. And uh, sweet peas, I am pretty much overwhelmed. Prince of Orange has probably got to be on the list because we all know I love orange. But there's one called... Earl Grey, which is that lovely kind of streaky petals with lilacs and maroons and dark blues. And it's got a bit of that stormy, poppy, amazing grey about it. And I find that very alluring. So um, and I hoped it would be nice in a combination with some others, not necessarily Prince of Orange. We'll see. But that is on my wish list. It's I've got a very, very long list of seeds at the moment. That needs Can I to add, add, add a, another sweet pea to your wish list? Go on then. <laughs> Well, it's a grandiflora. It's an old variety. I think it was October the 4th, a few years ago, we went down to the Great Dixter Plant Fair, Autumn Plant Fair. And whilst there, we had a trip to Sissinghurst Castle. And I went into the uh, into the 
cottage garden at Sissinghurst and I could smell these sweet peas and I thought, I can't believe this, not in October, don't be so silly. Rounded a corner and there was the most perfect wigwam of orangey red sweet peas and they were a grandiflora and it, they were produced by this man called Eckford and the, the variety was actually Henry Eckford. Now, I don't know when they sowed that seed. I tried sowing it, I think it was in late June and I was a little bit too late. So I think mm. probably beginning of June might be the thing. If you want to try just... You know, we we love sweet peas. I always think, you know, as soon as you smell sweet peas in the garden, summer's here. Get your kit off. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go again. Yeah. yeah, here we go again. But, you know, how nice it is when everybody else's sweet peas have gone to seed and they've got looking for mildew in the horrible and they've got two-inch stalks and little flowers at the top. You could have a full oh. obelisk of Henry Eckford. On the list. (laughs) (laughs) Tams, and where are you at with your Flomo? Well, because it's still kind of rose planting time, um, I was thinking last night, oh, gosh, what's on my Flomo? And I thought, of course, I saw a rose in the summer in a a garden. And so I just was drawn to it. A yellow. A lot of people don't like yellow, but I absolutely love yellow. It's a nice sort of um, primrosey yellow. And it's a rose called Tottering by Gently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I keep seeing it. And I think I've got to have this rose. But, you know, I looked it up last night to find out why it was called that. And lo and behold, I'm sitting on the answer. <laughs> OK, so bear with me. That I'm doesn't mean she's chair. not going to tell us. It literally is a cushion. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, this is my Arga hood, whatever you call them. This cartoon is by Annie Tempest. Do you remember in the 90s? Yeah. Country Life, I think. Still and is. It's, yeah, that is that is what The Rose is named after, is her cartoon series. <laughs> and I thought, when I looked it up, I thought, I've seen that cartoon. I thought, it's on my Arga. So I'm bringing it in so you can see. So, but it's, um, excuse me, that, that's oh, so warm, actually. I recommend these as... There's cushion kneeling pads, Alan, actually. Oh, yes. good idea, yes. Yeah, they, get, they get pinched. Yeah, but, um, yeah so um, I just thought, lovely story, lovely cartoon, beautiful rose. It's a shrub rose, and I need quite a lot of space. And sharing the garden with my uncle, you know, I have to have, we'll have to have a debate about this. Where will it go? And I know it sounds crazy, we've got four acres, but actually, you still no, have it to doesn't. He's got 32. Yeah, is there room? I mean, it's, people must think we're mad, but um, I'm going to get it in somehow. So that's what I would like. It's a David Austin rose. Um, I think it's been around, written it down. Hang on. Oh, uh, 2018. So it's quite new. Very new, really. Mm. If you like yellow, Tamsin, and you obviously like yellow and you like roses, have you seen the yellow variety of Mutabilis, Rosa Mutabilis? No. Well, wow. there is one, and we've just we've just been propagating it actually, um, so we've got quite a nice batch of it. But it's a lovely thing to get if you can. And the oh, great thing about those is because they flower for such a long time. Because once they start, they don't know when to stop. Yeah, we've got the pink. Yeah. And, um, gosh, it's it's a cracking rose, isn't it? Yeah, Honestly. it is lovely. And I never understand why it's not more widely sold. It's well, just so brilliant. I think it's the kind of thing that. People wouldn't buy it on description, but I think yeah, when they true. see it in a garden they and they, well, have you got that? Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. It's like Bengal crimson or crimson Bengal. It's another yeah. one. They're, they're untidy old roses because they've got this lovely open single flower, which is wonderful for pollinators. Um, but 
you know, I think they're not they're not the kind of rose you cut and put in a vase, for instance. No. But, but they make but lovely loose shrubs in the garden. In the drought, you know, in the very, very hot yeah. summer. Wow. The flowers that it threw out, it was exactly. not affected at all. Unbelievable. I've never seen it looking so good. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yes. And that's also on the wish list. I don't know why I don't have it. I am um, when I first moved in here, I bought um Shropshire Lad. And then I looked it up the other day and realized David Austin have retired it. I think life as a David Austin Rose must be so hard because it's They've also retired Munstead Wood, you know. Have they? Really? Yes. You know, these I mean, Munstead Munstead Wood here grows really, really well. And they they say in their blog, uh, in their blurb that it it is it's been super superseded by others that were the better habit. But there's nothing oh. as dark as Munstead Wood, and that and that encouraged me to take cuttings very late in the year. I didn't take them until October last year, and I think out of the probably 36 cuttings I took, I may have got four or five that have rooted because it was so late. Um, yeah, I went through yeah. our hardwood cuttings of roses yesterday, and you always do need to take more than you think, don't you? Yes, you do. Well, I did mine on, on a mist bench, actually. With bottom oh, okay. Heat. No, I've just chucked them outside. Gosh, how, how slapdash of me! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that your 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 method takes longer than mine, I yeah. suppose. Um, yeah. But I hopefully will have four or five to pot up this year. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, just never, never come back as a David Austin Rose because you'll probably get retired, even if you're great. <laughs> oh. uh, now, Alan, any flomos you'd like to share? Well, yes, it's going to be a snowdrop because we started <laughs> off talking about snowdrops here. So whilst the snowdrop season is still in full flow, I'm going to actually have a flomo for Mother Goose because I <gasps> don't have that many yellow snowdrops. I have got golden fleece and a small clump of it, but I got it. I've got Wendy's Gold. I've got Primrose Warburg, two to the best known yellows, probably, or the yellow um, receptacle. I always want to call it an ovary because it's, but it's technically it's the receptacle that contains the ovary. So you shouldn't say technically you shouldn't say the ovary. You should say the receptacle. You can so, tell we've been spending time with Brian Ellis. Can't I've you? just got a thing, you know. It, give me something with yellow receptacles, and I'll get my kit off. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm going to do a tally, I think, at the end when we edit this of how many times we managed to mention nudity and getting your kit off. I'm very impressed. <laughs> I, I feel ashamed. I really do. My mother will be appalled with me. It's an episode of Talking Dirty where we finally did some actual Talking Dirty. I'm uh, I'm very pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Lived up to the name and the expectation. Um, Tamsin, it's been an absolute joy. Um, if people want to get more of you in their lives, then they can grasp the nettle with you. And uh, and read all about your antics from childhood right the way through to the present day, and uh, and have a little chuckle either on the sofa or in bed. As Alan said, it's perfect bedtime bedtime read. Yeah, and if you want one signed with a message or anything, just go to Orphans Publishing, and I can scrawl something oh. in there if needed. Oh, how nice! That's lovely. Personal touch. <laughs> Until next time, thank you very much for being so entertaining and making us smile uh, until our cheeks hurt. Well, I've <laughs> loved it. I've loved it. I could stay on here all day. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's wonderful gardening therapy. <laughs> so we should rename it. It's just gardening therapy. That's what it is. Yeah. No, talking dirty is much more fun. <laughs> Happy gardening, everybody. Bye bye. Nice bye. to see you. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. 
If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more Plant Loving Mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.